Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sex Actually Podcast. It's your boy, Dave Neal. This is episode number 295. Can you believe it? 295? How many have you been there for all 295 episodes? You get a fucking new car. Uh, I'm recording this intro, and I'll try to make it brief. I'm recording this intro from Lake Tahoe. I don't even know if I'm in California or Nevada, to be completely honest. I've been completely off the grid, except for this uh, podcast intro. And it's been amazing. Um... I have I've, I, I, I'm on my yearly trip vacation with uh, Tasha's parents, my quote unquote in laws, and um, they get better and better. You got to learn how to travel with the in laws. I feel like I could uh, write a book about it. Uh, uh, step number one: find the toilet that you're going to claim for the trip. <laughs> Make sure that it's not near the kitchen or any other communal places where people hang out. That's very important. Number two. Uh, when picking rooms to sleep in, always go for the room on the uh, lowest level. If you have a basement, uh, take that one. You never want to be sleeping above somebody else. Not that there's much sex being had, but, you know, just in case. No creaking is heard on my watch. Uh, that's, that's that's it. There's only two rules. That's all you need to know. <laughs> uh, it's always good to travel. It's weird. Yeah, it's weird traveling with family that I've only known for four or five years because I feel like there's still like I'm still sharing stories with them like this week I was like oh yeah and by the way I reunited with my grandfather who I haven't seen in 15 years and they're like what <laughs> you don't know your grandfather you know you were still figuring shit out excavating the old relationship mine as it were uh this episode uh I really think you're gonna like I interview an old fraternity brother of mine named Matt Hoban he actually graduated college um the year before I joined the fraternity so I only know him uh, really from lore uh you know, uh, words of, uh, or stories of, Hey, you would have loved this guy. Um, he moved on. And then, um, after college, we reunited when I moved to Los Angeles, he's actually a executive producer of bizarre foods, which is a show on, I believe the travel channel and, um, his wife, uh, produces Jersey shore. And we talked about the dynamic that they have together. Um, both working in that reality TV industry, uh, traveling, communicating, and also the most important, uh, I think, gem we learned from this episode is the idea that you can create a life where you actually love what you do. Uh, Matt got a degree in a theater, which everyone in the world goes, what the fuck are you going to do with a theater degree? Well, I'll tell you what, he he pretty much squeezed all the juice out of the lime. Is that a saying? Uh, while in college, he, you know, by being in a fraternity, I know there's negative connotations. We talk about that at fraternities, but honestly, at the, at the, you know, the, the common denominator, it's a, it's a group of people that, you know, are on the same team that work and help each other and, um, and try to become the best men. I know that sounds crazy to say because you go, wow, well, all we hear is about roofing and rapes. And yeah. Well, like, look, uh, on the, the there are bad seeds in every you know group of people, but uh, what we learned from this conversation is that you can take a degree that might seem meaningless in the moment or off off uh, off point in the moment, and you can spin whatever it is you learn into your own sort of like tool belt to do the do whatever job you might want to you know dream to have. And sometimes we get stuck down the round route. And I know a lot of people think I'm against the nine to five or corporate jobs. I'm really not. I'm really not. I'm all about people being authentic authentic and finding the world they want to live in. When you have this sort of job that you want and all the passions and hobbies that you want, what a significant other wouldn't want to be a part of that. What guy or girl wouldn't want to be, you know, be with you. Uh, dating 
what I've learned in relationships and building all that, it's all about having a solid base and a solid tribe and community. And when you get that community that you love, you let resentment out of your life. You let jealousy out of your life. The anxieties go down because you're authentic to who you are and the hard work you're doing um, feels more meaningful. And, um, and who wouldn't want to be with someone like that? So you're going to love this episode. A quick uh, email that I got. Let's read this. This one was from, we'll call him Joe. It's kind, of, it's kind of pertinent, actually, to this episode. Joe goes, hey, Dave, I was going to write to you anyway, but the solo episode this week really resonated with me and what's going on in my life right now. A year ago, I wrote to you and said that I was about to leave and the net will appear. I'm sorry, leap and the net will appear. You know the old saying. And I moved to uh, Virginia to start a new job. Short version, the job sucked. Within a couple months, I had realized that I had leaped or leapt right into a toxic work environment that had me more mentally and physically drained than ever before. That happens. <laughs> Leaping the net will appear. It might not be the net that you love, but a net's going to appear. So recently I did it again, but in reverse, an opportunity came up back where I lived in Pittsburgh in an industry that I thought was beyond my reach. So I did it. I leaped and there the net was. Even though the past year was stressful, it really helped solidify who I am as a person and gain some new perspectives. At one point, I turned my neighborhood bar into a side hustle by becoming the owner's default tech guy, one night even filling in to DJ and MC an event. Along with that, I met some amazing friends that I hope to stay in touch with for a long time. More than anything, I'm thankful that I met so many people from different backgrounds that I wouldn't normally talk to. It really taught me that if you listen to people and respect them, there's more interesting and fun people in this world than I think we all realize sometimes. So here I am, back in a city that feels like home, doing a job that I thought was impossible for me to get four years ago. I'm more confident in who I am, and I'm going to work harder on the parts of my life that I want to improve and leave behind the things in my past that were holding me back before. Hope you, Tasha, and Boone are doing well. Take care. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, you, you, you jumped into the wrong net, learned a whole bunch of shit, re-jumped into a new net, and came back a stronger person. You know, when I think of that, I think about walking through the desert. That's your alone time. That's your moment. That's like you might meet all these awesome people, but you're alone. You're leaving your comfort zone. You came back a stronger man. Hey, congrats. That's amazing. I think this episode's going to, you know, resonate with you and hopefully anyone else who's just looking for bigger things because they're out there. There's big things out there for you, um, you know, in, in a way that you'll not only reap the reward, the reward, the abundance from the environment you put yourself in, but the environment's going to reap the reward of you. You, you know, it's a give and a take and leaping in the net will appear means you leap into the world. The world will catch you, but it's also going to support you and have you a new person in its community. So think of it this way. It's not all just selfish. You're not just doing it for yourself. You're creating art. You're creating a tribe, a community, a family, and you're giving to them. And that's how gratitude works. You get more of the things that you love, that you give away, you get them back. So enjoy this episode, everybody. My chat with Matt Hoban. All right, let's get right back into it. I All fucked right. up. I recorded the eight minutes of life wasted that we'll never get back. It was gold. Take two is going to be shit, but let's do it anyway. Well, what's good? Okay, so what's good about this? You're like a you're like a you're like a role model to my class, my generation in college. Which that statement is terrifying, but I appreciate. It. I know it sounds well. So often I I'm 33. So often I meet like these 25 year olds, and I'm like I'm a, I am of a different 
time period than you. Like, I grew up before Facebook came out my sophomore year of college. I am so glad that came out right after I left. Isn't it incredible how lucky we were not to have any of that? Like, I when I did something stupid, a picture was taken on a disposable camera. It was taken to <laughs> CVS, and I got to trust the guy at CVS to make sure that my dick and balls would never be printed. <laughs> and now everyone can record a movie on their cell phone. I would be in jail. I could never run for political office. I was thinking about this the other day. You, you remember, like, you got a couple extra bucks, and you get the doubles of the photos? Oh, yeah. You start passing them out to friends. Like, hey, yeah. here's a good one for that you. That used to be one of my moves, because I would do, uh, like, we would do 70s porno parties all the time at the house. I'd buy a bunch of disposable cameras, take all these lewd and inappropriate pictures of people all night, and then I would get doubles, make two photo albums, and the girls thought it was cute that I made the effort to bring them a photo album, but really all I did was keep all the really shocking and inappropriate pictures for myself. (laughs) Isn't it crazy that, I I read this today, that at Harvard they're trying to uh, uh, to make gender neutral fraternities and sororities? So, So their rushing went down from like 250 members a year to 100. Like that. Like, I get the... Like, I remember, I think it was my junior year was when they started first trying to get, like, the LGBT house in. And, I mean, this was, you know, 1999, 2000. So people were much more insensitive. Not so much insensitive, but uh, less aware back then, certainly less educated. And, I mean, I, I always look at it... It's one of those things where, like... I like there to be a group for anybody that needs to be in a group, but I don't think you should just run toward your group. Right. Like diversity is the only way people do get better. I love that our fraternity had tall guys, short guys, skinny guys, fat guys. Oh, well, we were misfit toys. Yeah, I mean it was people of every ethnicity. Like you know, oh, we got our first black guy, or we got our first Indian. Which, guy. which in Rhode Island, that's pretty on par with the demographic. Yeah, because you look, get thirty every, guys, you get one one black guy, a Dominican. Yeah, everyone else is an overweight Irishman or an Italian. Or yeah, we flew you in from Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jersey took a lot. Yeah, you or I took a lot of money from the yeah, Jersey there people. There were a lot of yellow license plates on black Jettas in like every I don't think they I even knew. had to submit like an application. <laughs> they They're just, like, you're from Jersey, get in here. You're. I think it's one of those things where it's just far enough away that like kids are away from their parents, but it's just close enough that the parents can keep an eye on their kids. Yeah. Because it really, like every girl I dated in college, I felt like was from Jersey. Like. And, and I'm in love with that, that, uh, that uh, kind of flamboyant uh, cockiness of a Jersey girl. Well, and ironically, 20 years later, I married a Jersey girl. Is she, like, is she from Jersey? Yeah, my wife grew up on the shore. She was born uh, in Bricktown, just north of uh, Seaside. And you're from uh, you, Providence? I was uh, born in Providence, grew up mostly in Warwick. Oh, there you go. So. Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't meet a Jewish girl till I went to University of Rhode Island. <laughs> I literally didn't. I mean, I'm from Newport, which is like surrounded. It's on Aquidneck Island, so it's just insulated as fuck. Right. So There's slavery no, there, arranged it that way, if yeah. I remember correctly. Oh, you yeah. guys were the northernmost point of the trade. Ab- yeah, absolutely. And we had uh, we, we, witchcraft. We'd, we'd kill those in the 1600s. We had witchcraft hangings, which Salem gets all the credit, but I Newport. I ghost hunters down there for that. Okay, so that so so we'll get right into it. So you... you um, I have a degree in theater. Correct. And then you, now you're an executive producer. Yep. Uh, um, mostly reality. I do some like competition shows. Um, food and travel is definitely the, the stuff that I love. I've done a lot of cooking shows, cooking competition shows, travel channel stuff. But what's better than food and traveling? Like what? Yeah, I mean, it's horrible for my well-being, and I'm going to die a young age. But like even today, like I went to a Jamaican restaurant right before we came here today on a quote-unquote scout trip. And I, <laughs> you know copious amounts of Jamaican food and then just wrote it off as a work expense. Do you let the workers know that you're like a, a food and travel guy? Do Most you get treated better when you do that? Most asshole friends do. 
Um, I've got one buddy, Nick, who uh, he's like a he likes to explore and experiment with food like I do. And I can't tell you how many times we go into a restaurant. He's like, oh, just to let you know, my friend here is the uh, executive producer and head writer for Bizarre Foods on Travel Channel. And I'm just like, shut the like once in a blue moon. Like when we're in a nice restaurant and like if we're in the field filming and my host, who's very recognizable, we'll get sent out a bunch of free stuff. No shit. Nobody gives a shit about the producers. Like, yeah. And they should. We're behind the camera. We're just there to do you got you have front of the camera swag. You look like a better looking Guy Fieri. <laughs> yeah, with you know what I mean. Like you've got the you got the cool Italian guy. I, I, you got the, I used to work on a show where they said I look like Fat Andy Garcia. I always took <laughs> that as a compliment. You can't trust a skinny guy with food. I mean, no, that's the exactly. bottom line. I don't know what they're doing. You have to have a little bit of a layer there to work in the industry. <laughs> it's just hey man, I was at work. It's not my fault. I was gonna go to the gym, but instead I went to the buffet. So the whole part the whole part of uh, the Sex Actually podcast, which really it's not about sex at all. It's about it's about building relationships, both with yourself, your family, your significant other, but also finding the passions in life. I, like I, I um, I've got actually a brother in college right now. James, my brother Jameson's at URI. My other brother's only fifteen. Wow. So like, I want these, and they don't listen. But I want these guys <laughs> to like be able to pursue what they want out of life. And I think all too often we get put into this box in college, and then we get shipped off in a direction at, at like a, when we're starting when we're eighteen or even seventeen. Yeah. And we don't even know which direction we're heading to. Well, I mean, we kind of started to touch on it before you fucked up and deleted all the footage. But like, <laughs> I feel like a lot of people go to college for the wrong reason, and it's, they go to college for the pursuit of the career that they pick their major in, that they think their family wants them to be, or they think, hey, that looked cool on television, or I could do that job. And I just went to college. I hated high school. I had a really shitty time in high school. I went to college to just enjoy the experience of college, which is why I stayed a fifth year and how we got to know each other because I kept coming back years after years after that. And now in the real world, I realize, you know, forget the skill sets I may have picked up in my current industry. The, the ability to communicate, the ability to network with people, the ability to just be comfortable in your own skin is what I learned more than anything in college. Yeah. And that's not a class. You learn that by meeting people, asking out girls, being terrified and overcoming your fears to try to accomplish something, making an idiot out of yourself, you know, to make your friends laugh. Now, but I worry that now people just message each other on LinkedIn. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's like, do they even have, do they even build, are they building the social skills that will get you so much farther in life? Well, it's like, I remember, you know, for the first, I was in college for five years. The first four years we were an off-campus fraternity. That was a lot of work to get laid or make new friends or rush people. And my fifth year, we moved into the house, which was a dream. And I fucked with my transcripts to stay a fifth year because I worked for four years. I'm living in the damn house. Which is an old Vic, like, uh, mansion. Haunted, haunted mansion, mansion in Rhode Island. And um, it was amazing because like, I'd come out of my room at night. And I'm all dressed up. And I'm like, all right, let's go like, find some girls. Let's go to the bar. And everyone's on their computers because like, iChat had just, or whatever it was back then, instant messenger. AOL instant messenger. <laughs> and all the underclassmen who have this thing on their computer. I didn't even have a computer until like... I, I didn't have a computer in college. I went to the computer hall. Everyone's in their room with like their Winamp playing shitty music. Yeah. And they're talking to 30 girls at the same time to try to find out which one's going to come over. Yeah. I'm like, get off your ass, dude. Like, go to the bar. Pick up a chick. Go, like, wander. Like, meeting people is doesn't work the right way anymore. Right. And, 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 the, and the most successful online dating apps just get you back to the bar in the first place. Yeah, it's, like, I'm, they just get you to that cup of coffee you would have got if you just asked a girl yeah. at the bar. And it's like, yeah, it's a scary thing to ask a girl out or get rejected. But that's the point. But doesn't it feel so much better when she's like says yes and you're like, you have that 
you know, that Goodwill hunting moment. Yeah, like that I'm, Goodwill hunting moment doesn't exist for a lot of people anymore. To expound upon it, like I'm in a career where there have been many times in my career I had no like the first time I directed a show. I didn't go to school for that. I don't know anything about framing and cameras and angles and all that stuff. The first time I ever sat in front of an Avid to edit something, I'd never edited before in my life. But I wasn't af- I was afraid of it because I didn't want to fail, but it didn't stop me from doing it. Right. And I feel that all comes back to those initial skills that you learn when you're young of kind of having the sack to just say, fuck it and try. Yeah. Everyone now is so afraid to fail. They don't do anything. That's yet. like that perfectionist mindset. Actually, someone, uh, one of the recent podcasts we had, the guest was talking about a fixed mindset versus uh, what's, what's an, not a, a growth mindset. Yeah. In the fixed mindset, you go, oh, I don't know how to do that, so I might fail and I'm not going to try. And it's like, and, and, and I, I, for whatever reason, I was thinking about this this week, I, I've picked sports and all these activities that all I do is fail. Baseball, you fail nine out of ten times. Yeah. I mean, they say seven out of ten, but that's in the pros. I you feel get one out of four, and you're one of the best players on the team. I was throwing, I, 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 I threw a hanging circle change up, and the guy hit it for a two-run home run, and we lost the playoffs the other day. And I was thinking, why do I put myself through this? <laughs> but I was like, what's the alternative than, than taking taking your body, your mind to that line and where you are going to fail or not fail? It's a video game, and there's no consequences, and there's no stakes yeah and in today's world i know it's a little confusing with people to be like well i'm not you know like i think a lot of people hide behind the excuse of like oh i don't want to be catcalling some woman and say you know, that's not what it is like you go to a bar you go to certain places it's expected that like it's a majority of single people i mean especially in college yeah. but like you know what bars you're at where like if people are out standing around in groups they're either at a bat they're either in a bachelorette party or they're single or like a combination of the two well i do think it's funny too because especially in in the time we're in right now with the Me Too movement and with all these like true assholes being flushed out. I've had a lot of my female friends who have worked on different shows with me or remember how ridiculous I was in college say like, oh, when when are you getting busted? Like, when <laughs> when are you going down with the ship? And like, I've had real conversations where I'm like, you don't actually like associate me with like a Weinstein, do you? And they're like, no, somehow it was always okay when you said something awful. Yeah. Like, and where that comes from is charm. And you have, you don't, yeah, okay, really good-looking people or fucking smug people are born with it. Most of us have to learn how to be charming because that's just another skill set that you'll use in every place in life. So, like, me saying, hey, you have a nice ass today is actually just saying hi to somebody or a high-five or a hug. <laughs> fucking Harvey Weinstein saying it is come back to my hotel room and tickle my balls. Plus, he's dangling a job opportunity or this <laughs> exactly. or that. And it's like with, like, you know, in the in the fraternity. In the, what, what I loved about the fraternity, I don't, I don't know if I mentioned this on the deleted footage or on this one. <laughs> But it was like people. Uh, any large group like like straight white men. Uh, it's straight white men are the majority of Americans, right? White people are the majority. Men of you know what I mean. So straight white men get this blanket thing where like oh they're the enemy and i get that the majority of the enemies are within that category but it's the same thing with fraternities like everyone's like oh don't you know watch your drink yeah, in a fraternity it's abercrombie like, asshole but it, and yeah and it's shirt bullshit every group of guys that gravitates towards whether it's a hockey team or the journalism department or fraternity it's just a group of guys and it's usually the only thing they have in common is that group and yeah. then within that group it's just the hierarchy diversity whatever and it's and it's like i i like to give people especially if anyone's listening who's in college whatever the chance to explore so many different activities that they can do because it's going to just up your chance to meet new people that might either be into exactly what it is that you do or just respect that you're you know 
in, like I said, in the, the journalism department or whatever it is. And also just don't be afraid to be a contrarian. I mean, at the end of the day, like, I was a frat boy theater major. That's, yeah. That's, that, that's not a thing. Like, yeah. those words contradict each other when you think of social tropes and stereotypes. But in the theater, everyone was like, oh, you knuckle-dragon frat boy, and I'd always wear my fraternity letters and talk about some party I was at the night before. But the irony is, every frat party I went to, I'd wear some crazy theater costume and put on a play for everybody, because I didn't like either group telling me what I had to be. Right. Like, I don't want to be a stereotypical frat boy from 5 to 9, and then go to the theater and be like a foo-foo theater major from 9 to 5. I'm just going to be myself, and you're either going accept it or you're not and i think when we're that young we're so in need of acceptance that most people don't have the courage to be a contrarian yeah it's almost like i was thinking of this you know i don't know if you ever remember like in high school when it's like time to like ask a girl out on your prom date or whatever it's like are you going to ask the girl of your dreams or are you going to play the safe bet and ask the friend who yeah and i and i probably did attainable if they're listening hi how are you (laughs) but like in in college it's the same way where it's like all right i've identified with a group i'm in a group that's it i'm done for me i i was on the baseball team my freshman year got cut so the first 30 days, which are probably the most formidable, you know, the most uh, formidable for me, the first 30 days I had developed this fraternity of baseball teammates. Then I got cut and I was like, I'm not going to party with these guys anymore. No, of course. And it wasn't, it wasn't their fault, but I was like, I don't deserve to be in their little thing. And they were basically just like a fraternity that was good at baseball. Like yeah. that's all they were. I never even went to prom in high school. I was so anti everything. Like... And it's funny because, like, I, I had some friends obviously living in Rhode Island and going to University of Rhode Island. You're 20 minutes away from where you went to high school. People who knew me in high school that saw me in college didn't recognize me. They thought I was a completely different person. And I was like, no, I'm the same person I was in high school. It's just in high school I was angry and scared shitless and no one was accepting of that. What were you, why were you angry? I just, I just didn't like it. High school to me just seemed like a, a, a scam. Uh, like everyone had to fit into a two dimension. Like you had the rich kids in one part of town, the poor kids were all like, I was really smart, but I was poor and I had no money. So, like, I didn't, f- there was no category that I fell into the high school I went to. Yeah. And then I also liked theater, but I loved sports, but I was terrible at sports. So it was just like I would float from group to group, never really finding a home, not realizing that probably if I was just you know, like less introverted and angry, I would have found a home in no time. Right. So when I went to college, it was a conscious decision of like, I'm not going to do anything to make other people happy. I'm not going to sell myself short. I'm just going to be me. And if people like me, great. And if they don't, they can fuck off. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, what's interesting is for me, my biggest a thing that I'm still struggling with going from high school to college. It's like, I have this inner kind of like dialogue that happens. Like if I'm walking alone down the hallway, I'll like think people are looking at me. It's, it might sound You're super, assessing. yeah, it's it sounds like super Terminator narciss- goggles. This guy's here. This guy's here. He's seven Ter- feet away. Yeah. He's saying this. About Terminator me. goggles is exactly right. And it's like, I just struggle with that ultimate feeling of being free yeah. of just, being because no one gives a fuck about me you know it's just a weird and then but at college at least is the is the first time going from like you know i went from a graduating class of i don't know 175 people to college where you can be a little bit more free because no one's kind of like stamped you with an identity yeah, 20 or thirty thousand strangers that you can make an impression on yeah and if you stumble or do something stupid or whatever you just kind of like you just keep moving on i mean and, I, I still have it now i like it's a i don't want to say like daily affirmation or something that bullshit but like I'm always gut checking myself to make sure that like, you know, the life that I've created for myself doesn't take over. 
Right. Like, because being like, I work with a lot of people who work in TV that are really great, normal run of the mill, blue collar people. And I work with a lot of assholes that get swept up in it. But like, you know, I don't ever want to be the guy who owns a BMW just because I need to have a BMW. Or yeah. Like, you, you got, know. instead you got the LeBaron. Yeah, exactly. That's what I, did you know I had that in college. Did you really? I had a cherry red LeBaron with Wood white panels? leather interior. No, no. I had the hideaway uh, headlights though. That's nice. Yeah, it was that's a good a nice looking touch. car. You know. uh, that I bought that three years ago, and it, it makes me like I don't need a Tesla, I don't need a fucking Mercedes. I just want to take my LeBaron out on the weekends and then drive some piece of shit car Monday through Friday. I actually saw a LeBaron with wood paneling in the valley and took a photo of it. I don't think I ever ended up sending it to you, but I thought of you. <laughs> the funny thing is, the office uh, I work at uh, that I've been at for about four years now is in the valley, and never noticed this car before in my life. But right after I got the LeBaron, because I'll take it to work every once in a while, there is a station wagon with wood paneling, uh, nice. like same year and whenever i bring the baron she always parks next to me yeah so it's like the mother and son cars of how many miles does it have uh just over 80 so you're okay so you're living the dream then you're doing what you want to do you got your weekend car convertible with wood panels you got the sleeve tattoos you're 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 married you've got the the little little fraternity west house yeah, I mean, it's, but it's always, you know, I got all of those things because I'm arrogant enough to know what I want, but also humble enough to know I don't deserve any of it. So I'm, I just try, like, I don't take anything for granted. Like, my wife and I spend money like idiots because we both grew up poor and we have no problem being poor again. Like, and yes, we work in a business where we make far more money than we deserve to make. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're not stupid. Obviously, we save money for later in life, but like, a, a, an expensive restaurant to me is, is is an opportunity. It's a treat, a vacation, upgrading to first class. These are things that for this brief window of my life, I'm privileged enough to enjoy. I will never expect to be in first class, but God damn it. Like my hashtag is white trash in first class. Every time I fly, if I get upgraded to first class, white trash in first class, I drink as many drinks as I can get. I'll have three meals. I'll watch every stupid movie <laughs> because I've been the guy in the middle seat in the back of the plane smelling shit and coach yeah. for so many years. And I'll be that guy again and be completely fine with it. I want to say I'm the same guy, but I've never flown first class. Oh God. You but yeah, I feel it. like I wouldn't want to sleep. Sell, sell, your, sell like- your kidneys. Like, First class international is the great, have, like... Have you ever been traveling with your wife and you get upgraded and she doesn't? No, it happens the other way around because her status is, like... Again, she's a bougie bitch from New Jersey Strong. And, like, we had, it, we actually on our honeymoon. So we went to Tahiti and Bora Bora for our honeymoon. Nice. And we were flying back at the end of 10 of the best days of my life. And my wife has something called global entry. Right. Which means any airport in the world, when she's flying international, she gets to cut to the front of the line and go right through. I happen to have some uh, legal issues from some priors and misdemeanors that I committed <laughs> in my younger life. So I am not allowed to get that status. So we land back at LAX after 10 days in Bora Bora, time of our life. Sun, like as tan, I look like a Mexican or black guy. I don't know. She cuts, goes all the way to the front, gets right through security. I spend 45 minutes waiting in line at customs. The guy's like, do you have anything to declare? I'm like, yeah, I'm just coming back from my honeymoon. And he starts laughing his ass off because I'm standing there by myself. <laughs> and it's pretty much been like that. Every time we fly international, she'll ditch me and go hang out for an hour while I'm That's actually a smart way to do it because I, li- I actually like my alone time through the airport. But my, girl- my girlfriend, Tasha, you met Tasha at yeah. the wedding. Probably, you know, probably didn't get too much you know, time to talk. But yeah, she I was kind of being married. Yeah. By the way, I, I want to get into that too. The whole like, the whole. Uh, do you remember any of, any of the wedding? Like, is it is it just a whirlwind or what? Um, yeah, the actual ceremony is a total blur. 
Um, you know, our, a lot of our friends from college and stuff were down, and the boys did the hotel night playing poker, smoking cigars, drinking scotch all night. And I was definitely hung over the morning of my wedding, but it went away in two seconds. Like, it was like the biggest adrenaline rush I've ever had. We got married right on the beach, two minutes from our house. We got married right where I proposed to her. It was perfect. But I, 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 I once I saw her walking down the beach, it all went, like, yeah. as cheesy as it sounds, blur. I don't know what I said. I don't know what, what she said. What was more said. emotional, the wedding or the proposal? Um... Well, the proposal was funny because she was three hours late, <laughs> and two of our friends uh, from the fraternity had spent the whole day helping me set up this big elaborate proposal that I wanted to do, and then they were drinking and smoking weed all afternoon, and I didn't want to drink or smoke because I wanted to be level-headed, and then I keep getting texts from her, hey, I'm going to be late, hey, I'm going to be late, and she ends up being over three hours late to come home that night, and like I hadn't eaten anything all day. They're stoned eating fucking KFC at that point. Making, <laughs> now I'm worried because they had parts to play because I'm an elaborate idiot. They're going to be too drunk and stoned to do what they're supposed to do with this proposal. I love that you're the, the theater guys coming out. They had parts to play. Yeah, I, <laughs> I probably could have just said, will you marry me? And it would have been fine. But I decided to get a little more elaborate. What so. made you uh, come up with like, what did you do? Uh, well, there's a beach right near our house that we like to take, uh, well, uh, the dog we had at the time, we'd always take him for a walk, and there's this one bench that we always sit at and watch the waves come in. So the plan was for us to go down to the beach that night like we always do, and there would be flowers resting on the bench, and we had tiki torches all set around wow. and lit, uh, uh, music, uh, a little boombox hidden underneath the bench playing our favorite song together, and then, like, one of my buddies, my wife has uh, a bit of a night blindness issue, so she gets really nervous at night. One of the guys was going to help walk her to the bench, the other guy was going to to take the dog and like you know we rehearsed everything and i had this whole big speech planned and then yeah like at eleven thirty at night when she finally gets home i <laughs> she tells me to this day i almost dragged her through the sand because like i i kicked them out and waved them off and i had her by the wrist and i'm just like running through like she's losing her shoe and shit like that was it were you uh pretty confident that she would say yes um yes and no i was really well, let me ask, how, how long into the relationship was it? Not long. I mean, we had met, um, we met, were casually dating for a couple months, moved in together on a bet, um, and then I proposed, I, got, I bought the ring a month after we moved in together, wow. and proposed two months after we moved, or two and a half months after we moved in together. See, this doesn't help my case. Because <laughs> Tasha's case, I mean, She's dropping hints would not, would be an understatement. <laughs> And my like, keep I, it up, Tasha. It'll I, work eventually. I need a I need a group of maybe you maybe you can be my like uh, like uh, you know guy who kind of like lets me know what the fuck I need to do because I don't know like half of what I need to do and I and I, I kind of assumed I would propose by the end of this year 2018 but man the fucking time flies by that it does I I will uh, Tasha if you're listening this is probably better advice for you. Um, there's a reverse psychology to the whole thing. Like, I, this actually goes back to college. I used to say this to a bunch of our fraternity brothers. We pursue that which retreats from us. And I find that in my marriage. I find it in my business. I find it all the time. Like, when you spend too much time going after someone, they run away from you. And, you know, you can hug someone and push them away at the same time. Oh, I know that. I never thought I was going to get married. I had no, none of my friends ever thought I was going to get married. I used to have a fetish for married women. Like, I had a bad phase in my life where I was sleeping with married girls. Um, my wife and I got together because neither one of us wanted to be in a relationship. 
my wife and I moved in together because neither one of us wanted to move out of our previous house and then found the most perfect place in the world. My wife and I got engaged because neither one of us ever wanted to get married. And my wife and I are now married because neither one of us ever needed to get married. It sounds like you guys were just uh, the perfect fit of, you know, uh, I don't want to say commitment phobe like in a bad way, but like two people that were just like a little jumpy that found each other. It was kind of like my wife says it all the time. She is a well put together version of me. Like you will never see my wife's a big drinker. You'll never see her drunk. My, my wife's very over the top and crazy and emotional like I am, but you don't see it. She is much better at putting up a facade than I am. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, um, but she's great at keeping her shit together. I am great at not keeping my shit together. So there is a yin and a yang to it. Um, but that compliment is, is why I think we work and why we yeah. wanted to get married. It's like, we don't shit like we keep our bank accounts separate. We keep our lives separate. We keep our businesses separate. Like, you know, like we, we choose what we want to share with each other. Yeah. And it doesn't always work. I mean, I'm the, I'm the girl in our marriage. She makes fun of me all the time. Like you're an emotional bitch and you bring up old shit. See, like, I think our I think our ladies would get along because they probably. could just probably end us. But like, I'm do you the ever same get way. That where it's like I'm, some I'm, girls I'm, yelling at you, and it's like that happened three years ago. What are you upset about? Still, that's sadly me in our marriage. <laughs> well, I find yeah, I find that I'm definitely definitely the sensitive one, or at least the one who shows. But like, I I, I think it's a blessing that I show her exactly how I'm feeling about things. But I'm also, you know, that codependent one who's always trying to like find out how we can make it right. You know, whether it's, you know, all, all the different stupid studying that I've done over like wh- how she like acts the way she does and things like that. Like we've been big on the love languages, like finding out what I need to do to make her happy mm-hmm. and what she needs to do to make me happy. Cause I didn't even, I never knew what I needed to be happy. I kind of yeah. just assumed people would know. Well, and I mean, the crazy thing is, I, 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 I try to believe this and I forget it all the time, and it's often a, a point of contention in my marriage. Um, you can't make anybody else happy, and right. nobody can make you happy. But generally, if you're, if, if you're being a happy person, the people around you will be in a much better fucking mood. Absolutely. And it's like, you know, most of the fights we have will usually revolve around conversations that I had in my head. <laughs> that I realized I never shared with her. Yeah. Oh, you did that thing. She's like, when did that even happen? What are you talking about? Oh, that's right. You were out of town. Well, I felt that way, and it's your fault. Yeah. And it's just, you just talk yourself and Because we know our own language. So, like, like last night, I, I had this uh, complete waste of a stand-up set. The audience was just uh, talking to themselves, and it was, it was just, I, like, literally got on stage, and was like, this is a waste of my time, and I walked off stage. And I was walking home, having an argument in my head, and then it, like, <laughs> and then I ended up saying out loud as I was getting to the front door, you know, no, no, fuck you. But I was, like, talking to an imaginary guy. Yeah. I was, like, responding to a heckler in my head. <laughs> but I responded out loud. So I'm just this psycho being like, no, 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 fuck you. you. You know, like, and I was like rehearsing how I would have responded if this guy acted the way he acted, but he never did. I do it all the time. Like, especially with my, like, you know, we work for a network. We send in cuts. I have a very strong-willed host of my show. I rehearse fights that nine times out of ten never <laughs> happen. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, if he hates this scene, I'm going to say this, and then we're going to do this, and I'm going to... I. I Oh, cool. He liked the scene. Yeah. Like, but I'll work myself into su- such a stupor. It's like uh, it's like going to trial. You're like, you got your, your packets of like your defenses and then, but like a relationship works out best when you don't have that. But that's shit that I think naturally everyone brings in like this stockpile of ways they're right yeah, like and ways never, to win. I never knew I had anxiety issues in my life because I was never aware of them. And one of the weird things about getting married is when you trust somebody so much that you're going to be completely yourself around them, 
you're also being completely yourself around yourself. And that doesn't always happen. Or like you're, we're so good at hiding and, and coping and coding and, and burying shit that all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, I went 35 years before I found out I have anxiety issues. What causes your anxiety? I mean, usually the unknown. Yeah, like, no, we're good. Like, you mean like, like, uh, like for me, it's, yeah, it's, it's whenever I have a, a big stand-up show at a new venue or it's like, yeah, it's control. It's when I don't have control over yeah. something. And like when I was younger, I either didn't like, oh, it's stress or, oh, it's like you write it off as like simple things or you self-medicate with booze or drugs or going out and partying with your friends on the weekend. But it's like, you know, as you start to get older, you're like, oh no, this is an actual thing. And like. You know, I, I can't hide from it. I can't medicate it. I just need to take five minutes, take a deep breath, figure it out, and then go on with my day. But I also don't need to, like, punish other people about it. Yeah. So how uh, how how do you guys fight, you and your wife? Like how uh, I usually lose. Yeah. <laughs> usually badly. But is it, like, quick quick loss or, like, a, you know, does she let you get your points out? Like, how? She, she is a much better producer than I am. So it'll usually, she's very smart about like, all right, I can tell you, like if it's nine times out of 10, I'm the one with the problem. As I said, I'm the girl in the marriage. Um, And it's like, all right, well, let's, let's, let's discuss all your points and I'll talk about the things I'm feeling. She's like, okay, so why? Give me examples of how this exists. And I can already feel my argument eroding. (laughs) I don't don't have an example. It's just how I feel. (laughs) Fuck you. And then by the end of it, I'm usually like. Can I buy you something? <laughs> like, but I just great. realized I was acting like an asshole all day. That's great that you're able to talk it out to to find out why either why you were acting a certain way or just you know what I mean. Like that's great that because I feel like a lot of people just white knuckle it and just like just choke it down. Like I don't know if my relationships at the place where we can have full on conversations where it's not cut and dry. It's easy if I um, if I uh, you know do something stupid or if, you know it's easy to be like oh sorry babe. Oh, yeah, it's well, easy when it's tangible. tangible, but so often. And it's over time commitments and, oh, you told me that you'd be free to do this and you're not. And, you know, we live in a, in a world and in an industry where these aren't nine to fives. So, like, my biggest problem has always been work comes last minute sometimes. So, so Tasha has, like, a, a very, like, OCD, which, which is fair, like, life where she likes to have everything written down in her schedule. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I'm just like, that's all fair, but sometimes you get a gig and it throws off everything. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, how do you deal with that? How do you... You know, no, like I don't do things that like I, I don't I don't have like boys weekends in Vegas. Everything I do is probably somehow work related right. or our small group of friends. It sounds like Tasha and I probably have a lot more like I can't tell you how much money I've lost on change fees because it'll be <laughs> like like my, my wife and I both travel for work a lot. And it's hard because we'll go months at a time without seeing each other sometimes that long. And yeah, I mean, last year she was gone the whole year. Wow. And, like, I'd come out and visit. She was in Miami for about nine, ten months. Um, then she was back for a little bit. Then she got another job. She's actually in Jersey so right you're now. So you're both producing. You both produce reality. Correct. Yeah, I'm a creative producer, and she's a logistics producer. So it's part of probably why we work as a couple. I come wow. up with all the crazy ideas, and she figures out how to pay for it and schedule it. Yeah, you guys should write, a like, a, a couple's manual. Yeah, production 101. On production 101. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, perfect example. So she's in Jersey right now doing the new season of Jersey Shore. And Which, she, by the way, I just watched that whole 
Miami reunion on the on a flight like six <laughs> six hours straight, dude. I was so pumped to watch that show. Yeah, her last show that she did, Florabama. It just oh, is she on did right that? now. And it's oh ridiculous. my gosh, it's so funny to work live with someone who's in production because I'll hear the story of what happened six months earlier, have long since forgotten it, and then I'll sit down to watch the show and I'm like, I fucking remember when she called me about that. Wow, so she's like, they in got like, arrested that night. She's in like a high drama reality. She yeah she does, does that all, like, like does she absorb that at all like how does I think she does a damn good job of not yeah you because like most man. of her job is bailing people out of jail stopping fights <laughs> calling security <laughs> she did all the love and hip hops for a while so like you Jersey know, is built for that yeah, yeah she's Jersey really strong. it's an accurate wow. it's an accurate statement but like anyway so she was she was going to be in Atlantic City for a couple of days and she's like well why don't you come out this weekend you got nothing to do and I was like fuck yeah. Within five minutes, I bought my flight, used an upgrade to first class because I'm a bougie bitch, figured out a rental car. I'm going to fly into Philly and drive up. Maybe I'll stop and see some friends for lunch. An hour later, she's like, ah, we're not going to be in Atlantic City now. Cancel it. (laughs) And like, boom, $250 change fee, loss of miles. But that's... That's my OCDs. Like, as soon as I make a decision, I have to have all the logistics flushed out. Yeah. Like, if I just waited another 24 hours, I could have flown to whatever city she was in instead. Yeah, but you, that, you guys are a great example of, of needing to communicate it because you are traveling all over. Like, I, like, I guess that's actually good to see because for me, it's like, well, at most, I'm gone a couple of days. I was just gone for 14 days. I think Tasha came to visit the, the last weekend that I was gone. So we went like 10 or 11 days without seeing each other, yeah. which was the longest we've ever gone. And that's, I mean, I'm not saying it's not like, it's, it's good to challenge yourself and that's just as far as we've got. But yeah, there could be a time when she's gone for a month and you know, it just works out where I can't see her. Yeah. I mean, right after we got engaged, I went on the road for four months and didn't see her. Uh, two days after we got married, I was on a plane to South Carolina for a two week shoot. Like it's not, I'm not going to be a hypocrite at all and say it's easy. It's fucking hard, but we knew what we signed up for. The first couple of years we were together, I was the one that was doing the big, long travel trips. The job I'm on now is so amazing because, like, we shoot an episode in three days. Wow. So it's like I might jump on a plane and have to go to Japan or Spain or West Africa, but I'm gone in and out in a week. The show she does, she's gone three, four months at a time sometimes. Now, do you guys talk to each other before taking a job? Yeah. I mean, that's definitely... Um, just out of res- I, like, is it a respect thing? Yeah, like, you're going to take it regardless. But I, I, you know, like, I've definitely had times where I, I want to say, "Don't take that job." But I also, we're freelance. I mean, I'm sure it's the same thing in your world. When the gig comes along, the gig comes along. And for every great job I've had, I've also been unemployed for three months. Yeah. And I'm obviously better. You know, ten years ago, I can't tell you how many times I w- almost went bankrupt because it's like, oh, I'm making good money. I work in TV. I'll never be unemployed. I'm going to buy that new giant. You know, stereo systems piss away all my money, don't save a penny, and then I don't work for four months, and every credit card's maxed out, and you're just completely freaked out because you, you literally get in the mentality of, I'm never going to work again. Right. And then you land a gig, and the, it picks up, and it starts all over again. The job I've been on now, I've been on for three and a half years. That's unheard of. Yeah, that is. Like, I've been consistently employed for three and a half years. I don't know anyone that's done that. I consider myself extremely lucky. But like, and there might be people listening that are like ten years into a gig, or I, I call it a gig, yeah. a job, <laughs> and they're in, into some job, and they're just like, you know, whatever. I mean, the 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 blessing with short term gigs, I think you always have the chance to reevaluate which way you want to go with your life, which yeah. type of job you want to pick up. But but getting back to how someone can get to that top level, like you're you're at a place now where you're you probably I don't know I don't want to speak for you. Did you? think you would you would be here no i'm because i'm still an idiot 
Like, no one in my position should be allowed to behave the way I behave. But, like, experientially, is that a word, experientially? Yeah, we'll go with it. Yeah, sure. You, it's almost like not finding the job that fits, you know, whatever degree you have, but finding the lifestyle and the job that fits the lifestyle. Yeah, well, I think, like, when I first came out here, one thing I was really conscious of was trying to learn everything because I knew nothing. So it's like, oh, yeah, I'll be a lighting guy. I don't know what that is. Or, like, you know, I'll be, I'll work craft services. My first gig I got when I got to L.A. was a location manager for a low-budget film that was co-funded by Snoop Dogg. <laughs> Why would you hire someone that just moved to L.A. that doesn't know anything, like, needs a Thomas The most guy. confusing city. Yeah, I'm using, like, the, you know, the Magellan GPS just to, oh, yeah, it's in Reseda. Oh, shit, that's two hours away. I didn't know. But lied through my teeth, got hired as a location manager on a low-budget film, and... Got to work with Snoop Dogg. You know what's crazy with with you is that, I don't think you remember this, but my first go-around living in L.A., I moved here for like four months, and I was lonely as fuck. I was probably the most depressed. I I don't think I've ever been depressed, but I was like a relationship that wasn't working. I was trying to make it long distance. It was horrible. People who listen to this podcast go, we know, Dave. We've heard about (laughs) it. But, and then you invited me. I want to say on, on like an it was like Easter you had like a, a like a like a like a bun, like a rabbit roast or something. Oh, the Antichrist Easter. Yeah, you came to that. I came to that. Oh my god, I drank too much. I drank yeah, too much. that was at the old house with the pool. Bluebell. Right? Yeah, that was the Bluebell house. Yeah. yeah, another frat house. I mean, we, so, uh, that we was, never had less than four guys living in that. I was living show. in Santa Monica at the time, not far from where we are right now, and I was not happy. All the, yeah, like I said, all these things just weren't going well. Drove up to you guys, didn't really know ninety five percent of the people that were there, but I was like, oh, like there were. A, that was a place that you guys had built that was really cool. You yeah. had a pool and all this. It was just a cool, like, well-furnished place. Yeah, the tiki so bar out back. things didn't work out for me. I moved back to New York within a month I from totally that. I forgot about that. I'm kind of blown I, away. I know. Right I, was out, I was in. I was out. And then, four, and then several years later, I moved back to L.A., your roommate Dan, our fraternity brother, moves out. I move into his room. So then I end up living at that house. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. For as long as they had us, and then I think we got evicted or they sold the house I or something. I had just moved out a month earlier. Yeah, just Tiff moved and I out. had moved in together. And because I have baggage, I brought Dan with me. So Dan moved in with Tiff and I and lived downstairs. And, and, I, and you guys five left years me later, with, like, Dan still lives with us. You guys left me with some alcoholic who I found. Nicest guy in the world. <laughs> Which, what, who was it? Rapey Ron? <laughs> Rob. Oh, so Hustle. Yeah. Yeah, the ironical nickname. Wait, Hustle? I, don't, I didn't know his name, Hustle. We called him Hustle. The big guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, I found Spence. him in, yeah, in his car, uh, seatbelt buckled, but he fell out of the car. I found him like 9 a.m. the next day. So, like, the, the seatbelt might have saved him. I don't know. He But, like, the car was parked in the driveway, and he was just laying I out just there. Saw, I just saw him two weeks ago at that crawfish boil that I helped throw down in Playa. Oh, no way. And he's, he hasn't changed. I, I've never loved someone so much that I would never, ever, ever, ever live with again. Yeah. Like, he was the perfect friend and the worst. Like, he was the guy at 4 o'clock in the morning. You'd hear music playing, and he'd be in the living room, like, watching SNL in his own underwear eating uh, yeah, whatever his, you had tidies. for dinner that night yeah just scrapping just yeah, scrapping just killing your last two slices of pizza well i thought he was the roommate i didn't like and not that i didn't like this other guy but there was a real sociopath who was the one who was actually making all the messes to the point where like shattered a glass and my dog was like stepping on it because oh, he didn't pick it up the next day it was another guy but it was like and then i found out i, I just assumed it was rob because he was the drunk but yeah. it's funny the people the different people you have to live with that place the fact that i could drive back across the country to la 
literally buy a, a mattress on Craigslist, put it in the Sebring, drive it back up to the valley, and then have a home was just amazing. Which, by the way, being single, that was like a great place to have. Oh, to just yeah. Be, oh, come over, hang pool. up by the pool. Let's go for a light swim. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I just looked that house up yesterday because uh, another one of our fraternity brothers, Ben Dawson, uh, him and his wife were moving to L.A. at the end of the month. And Ben briefly lived in that house with us. 10 years ago. He's been living in Chicago uh, for a couple of years now, and his wife really wants to move to L.A. She's, uh, was, he, was he at your Antichrist party? He probably I was. I think I might have seen him he there. was living in the garage at the time. Um, <laughs> but they have, you know, a relatively large dog, and they're like, we really, you know, we don't want to live on the west side yet. So we just, for jokes, we're like, let's see if Bluebell's for rent again, because it does have new owners. They remodeled it. The house is actually gorgeous. Oh, I got to look it up then. Yeah, it's, it's they, they're overpriced for what they're trying to sell it for but, but they must have gotten double for whatever because that that whole area is yeah, just I think booming. It sold for like 485 500 thousand and i'm sure it's going to be in the sevens now jeez that whole area i mean where i work now is right across the street from the first apartment i ever lived in in la and when i lived in north hollywood it was disgusting and now it's like the one of the trendiest like this yeah saying you lived in you the, here long enough saying you lived in the valley was like singing at herpes back in yeah, the day and now it's like all the best restaurants are there like and downtown is amazing again whereas yeah. 10 years ago you'd get knifed if you went downtown so uh, what's your dream job would you ever consider doing like a food show in la like like being more like locally based or i mean i kind of have it i mean my dream job would be to uh, have my host retire and me take over as the host yeah because so what's, as, what's the show called right now it's called bizarre foods with andrew zimmern on travel channel right i've uh, been doing it for about three and a half years i've got almost 100 episodes uh under my belt already it's amazing running producer in the history of the show and i don't you know people think it's awesome but i don't get to travel like i spend most of my days in an edit bay in los angeles right i only get to travel on like every 3 or 4 episodes but they're on the road all year long um i'd love to go on the road for all the shows um but yeah i mean uh, the the theater dream is still there let I'd me pitch let me pitch something by you run it maybe and this i might have to bleep this out of the episode because it's <laughs> such a good idea tell me it might be a horrible idea yeah I, I, i'm gonna do this regardless by it's, the way it, you know what never happens to a tv producer hey let me pitch you an idea for a tv show <laughs> trust well listen i get it i get it with comedy hey i got a funny bit for you to work on I for your skin there's something funny i'm not gonna I'm, okay take the board pitch out I'm, not, I'm doing this i'm not pitching it to you i was gonna say as a co-host you could do this with me do an episode with me perfect I want to. I want to start finding the best gas station food across the country. I love that. I love the that. best. It's got to be warm. And then I was thinking, like, it's you know, so not just like some skittles, but like, what do you got? You got crawfish. Awesome. Do you have like, you know, there's a filet of fish sandwich in town in Santa Monica that's actually not that bad. So like, I want to be able to do like reviews, but like in front of the I place. Forget the name of the town, but there's a place in Southern North Carolina that is a gas station called Porn and Chicken, <laughs> and it's some of the best fried chicken. And it otherwise, it's just a gas station with a large porn collection. I love it. You can, I can't remember the name of the town. You can Google it. Porn and chicken. I'm dying to get a T-shirt from there one day. Well, I don't know what I want my uh, like like specs to be, but I think it. I think it has to pump gas. You know, it's got which sounds obvious. It's got to pump gas. It's got to be warm food. I don't know if it has to be made on location. I just think the fact that they serve it there, and then you know, boom, you go in, you test it, whatever. Well, especially Bible Belt, middle of America. I mean, when you go to some of these like truck stops that are bigger than a mall. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've I can't remember. I think it's in Iowa, but there's one that's like there's four restaurants in a gas station. Yeah, for and, sure. Like, they're all 
you know, they're not healthy, but they're all like, yeah. you know, trucker delicious food. I just drove to Portland, Oregon and back with um, two comics, like, you know, straight 15 hours each way. Boom. And one guy was six foot seven. The other guy's just like a normal size. But like we like we we did that whole like you get to the gas station and you just like separate and just start eating <laughs> things and putting things down. Like there's nothing better than stretching the legs out in the gas station. I'm yeah. such a simple white trash person. I, th- I think I've driven cross country seven or eight times now like because i especially back in the day like you didn't fly anywhere you drove when you're lower level production all the gears got to get there we're not gonna spend eight hundred dollars on fedex have matt drive across the country yeah. so i'd go from boston to san jose in four days and yeah it's 15 hours a day a lot of red bull and cigarettes do you do this do you look a few hours ahead to see what the food's going to be like and I, then sort of try to carve your way into that i started pathetically getting into a place where i've driven across country so many times i knew what towns were coming up <laughs> like i just always all right colby kansas is 12 hours from denver so i know where i'm like I, i'll go to the holiday Inn express in colby kansas and the bar across the street with the old black lady with one eye serves really strong drinks like <laughs> and you just remember that with time yeah um i've even had it in some other countries where like certain airports i've been in like and any oh, yeah. almost anywhere you go in europe you, if you're flying internationally you're probably either going through heathrow or uh, amsterdam airport okay and like you'll just get into this mental of like oh there's that really good place in amsterdam airport with like the chicken wings or whatever it's almost like is. like i'm um, like this, the psychology of it's almost like trying to find your home on the road. Yeah, you just got. You're just, it's from it's familiarity. It's you know you like reliability. Well, to kind of go back to the whole thing with my wife, both of us uh, have been on the road for so many years that when we are both home for a prolonged period of time, we it's a problem. Like we get itchy. Like I, I'm, I'm supposed to be living out of a suitcase. I'm supposed to be. In do you do like staycations or do you yeah. go like quick, I mean, quick getaways? How we started dating. Like when we first got serious, like we 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 disappear to the sunset lux. And go have like a little staycation weekend. When she gets back next week, we're doing, uh, we're staying downtown at the Marriott Live, and you know, doing a restaurant blitz nice. downtown. Because one thing about living with forty-seven other fucking people and dogs and everything else is there's not a lot of time for romance. Yeah. Like, when, when you say restaurant blitz, just like like a crawl. Yeah, we'll do like you know we'll 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 go to lunch at this place, then we'll do dinner at this place. That then sounds we'll do amazing. Late night drinks at this place, brunch at this place the next morning, and then we'll go home. I'm going to Tahoe this week. Do you know any any uh, must see things in Tahoe? Uh, well, you're not far from the Bunny Ranch. Oh, if you want to oh. make that drive. is that Reno? Um, it, no, it's on the it's South Tahoe. I think. Do they have chicken and porn there? It's on there? the Nevada side. What they got? They got more <laughs> porn there. Uh, I personally have never been in the Bunny Ranch. I was in the parking lot one time, but I couldn't convince the other people where, that I was with to come in. Um, a lot. Of, one thing about traveling around this country with a television cruise is you get a lot of people with loose moral fiber. Yeah. So it's it's nothing worse than when you run into a friend at the hand job parlor. That's always awkward. <laughs> hey Pete. Yeah. <laughs> we, in, I'll give you this one because I won't use the names. Uh, <laughs> Prague. 10, 11 years ago, whorehouse outside of That's Prague. That's when I was in Prague. I was there Maybe I, in 2006. Dave, I'm revealing that I ran into you in a whorehouse in Prague. Um, but I had, we'd been drinking absinthe all day. That, that's an experience. And um, I had jumped in a cab, and I thought I was in the movie Hostel. I'm going to die. He's driving me outside of the city. My brain is freaking out. Everything is awful. And I walk into this old mansion, and I see three people in the mansion, and all three of them worked on my show. And they were terrified, and they come running at me. And next thing you know, we're back in the cab, and I'm like, what happened? What happened? And they're like, so they had paid. They were the older guys on the show. They didn't want to go out drinking all day. They had tipped the bartender at the hotel and said, we want to go to a strip club. Mm-hmm. 
they'd been sitting in this place for like an hour, and every time the prostitutes would come out, they'd put like a dollar down or whatever, and then be screamed at by 300-pound bouncers and, and uh, you know, check or whatever the hell it is. So as we're driving back, they're telling me this story, and I'm laughing at it, and they're like, why were you at the whorehouse? <laughs> nothing, guys. Nothing. We should go back to the hotel. Yeah. Now, that, that part, that we don't need to know yeah, that part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just yeah, testing it out. You know, bizarre foods. That's all. Exactly. It's delicious. Well, look, you should, if if, uh, if white wife permitting, you both should do a podcast with Tasha and I. Have, have sure. do, do some drinks and do it proper. Oh, I can only imagine what that would be because, like. Because um, I know. Uh, you guys over. We can do it at the Tiki Bar. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that would be amazing. I know the, our marriage therapy has really been just interviewing other couples and finding out what we're Smart. doing that's crazy and what would work you know what i mean it is funny because like when tiff and i got engaged like many of her friends were married and i got in with the husbands and they're all a couple years older than me because my wife's a little bit older than i am and they all have this similar al bundy beaten down thing and i would just but and they're like oh she still lets you go to she lets you do this and i'm like yeah guys this is never gonna fucking change come on and they all had this same like You'll get it one day. <laughs> and just a couple months ago, we were at uh, my friend Kate and Sean's house for her birthday party. And Tiff and I got into a stupid fight about something completely ignorant and not important at all. Right. And the next week when I saw Sean, he was like, you got it now, don't you? <laughs> we will never win. <laughs> yeah. And that's part of winning is letting is, is, is giving up control. The long game. It's the long game. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're, winning, you're winning the long game. I'm very minutia-oriented in life, so it's really hard for me to sometimes just take a deep breath and focus on the long game. <laughs> well, look, to be continued, we'll do the next one uh, with great. our ladies. Uh, All right. And, um, and Bizarre Food, that's where on Travel Channel. Yep. We, uh, every Tuesday night, uh, we got three more episodes. It's airing right now. We've got three more episodes left in the season. Uh, one of my favorite shows, we did a Spain trip that I was actually on. Um, North Carolina Moonshine Highway show that's all about NASCAR and our season finale is actually an underground railroad show. Amazing. So we follow a path of uh, escaped slaves uh, to free states and eat food along the way. <laughs> I love it. It's a little dark. <laughs> the Moonshiner show is great and I'm in that episode because we got the whole crew drunk on camera. Oh nice. Wait, Moonshine is that, where's, is that Appalachian? Like where's that? Yeah, uh, Wilkes County. So we started up in uh, Wilkes County and then we finished in Charlotte For and actually went to a NASCAR oh, okay. race because something I didn't know is Moonshiner's led to the creation of NASCAR because they were tricking out cars to escape the police back in the 30s no and 40s. Way. And then they started legally doing it and that the all the original NASCAR drivers used to be bootleggers. No way. So we did a whole episode on that and our host doesn't drink so we decided to get the crew on camera and we got we got everybody a little sauced That's up amazing. on that episode. We had fun. Well, Tasha's from Kentucky, where they have the Bourbon Trail. I've done we, the Bourbon yeah. Trail. Yeah, did you get the passport? I did not. I just did a couple stops. I was on. I was another on a gig. Stopped for lunch. Yeah. Stopped for dinner. We've gotten three different passports and lost all of them. <laughs> so we like Sounds keep on right. doing the same tours again. Well, anyway, we got to do it again. Thanks so much for being on the show. Hey, thank you, man. I'll be back anytime. My man, pleasure. I don't know why we shook hands. It's audio. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah.